0: Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Larry, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Invited you on here to talk about some recent news, mostly the documents, JFK documents. I know you guys have been, last time we were on talking about the lawsuit, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, but recently the White House just put out an order. um, I guess that's what you'd call it, but talking about not having to release. From what I got out of it, it just says they're not giving us the files. Anything that's remaining, they don't have to give it to us.
1: Well, so President Biden issued an executive order on the evening of June 30th, which was a weekend, a holiday weekend, uh, presumably so that there wouldn't be a lot of attention uh, brought to the order. And the reason he probably did that was because in the first paragraph of the order, he said his order was the final act required under the act. So he was basically saying, no mas. Um, He's basically saying he's finished with the act. Uh, There's nothing more for the president to do. And uh, he is uh, basically saying that any future releases are to be governed by transparency plans, which we call secrecy plans because they're anything but transparent. This is a follow-up to his December 15th, 2022 order, where he had created uh, two buckets of remaining records. Uh, Section 2C of the order um, pertain to records for which there was no further um, work to be done. And those records were to be uh, released according to transparency plans that had been drafted by the various agencies and reviewed by the National Archives and became effective on that date. Uh, I'll talk about the transparency plans in a minute. Then there was documents in uh, section 2D that were documents, assassination records that NARA was still working out uh, reviews with on with the agencies as to whether they could be released. Those records had to be released. Um, By June 30th, or else they would become subject to the transparency plans. So after so in the spring. You know, roughly 3000 or so records were dumped. Um, About a thousand, almost 2000 records were dumped in June alone. Um, Of this
0: year, right?
1: Of this year, yeah. There are then, some
0: releases that came out that got no news headlines at all. If it wasn't for you posting them in the forums or something like that, I probably wouldn't have even heard about them, but they were like 400 to
1: 500. They got very little attention. It's only when the president does something that they get any attention. So the records were released, um, about 1,000 records were released. No, I would say 2,000 records were released in June. And then the records that didn't get released by June 30th now become subject to the transparency plans. The transparency plans are uh contain event uh, conditions or events that would occur um in the future that would allow records to be released. So they're basically the wish list of the CIA and the FBI, Department of Defense, um. And the problem is that the transparency plans don't have; they have criteria in them that are less stringent than the JFK Act. Such so that means, like for example, when the JFK Act would require disclosure, these transparency plans would allow for continued disclosure uh, re, uh, redactions. One of the conditions, for example, is that if the record involves a country for which we have a national security arrangement with um, the record would not be released until the the country, the country uh, authorizes the release or if the national security arrangement ceases. What is a national security um, arrangement? Uh, think about NATO. So we have a NATO country that has an assassination record um, or an assassination record that involves that country, maybe something that was done In that country, it could have been someone Sir Oswald in that country, um, and whoever that person was, the name is still redacted. Um, That record could not be released until either the country says it's okay or B, uh, like NATO is dissolved, which is not going to happen in your lifetime. Definitely not my lifetime, but probably not even your lifetime. Um, They allow for records to be withheld. Uh, for sources that are still alive now the statute requires you have to make a showing that release of the person's name would pose a substantial threat of physical harm so that's an that's just an, another example of how the transparency records would allow for postponement when the act does not so um we we feel these transparency plans don't comply with the law um, but they're now in effect. And that's basically President Biden said, I'm done. I There's no, g- going to be no more executive orders coming from the president, no news catching executive orders. This is all going to be part of um, the declassification procedures that are used for all classified records. He's essentially he didn't say this, but he's essentially saying the JFK Records Act is done and that um, Assassination records are now going to be treated like any other classified record. Um, It's going to be reviewed by the National Declassification Center, and um, the president um, has no further role, which of course is not what the statute says. The statute says that the president has has the sole non-delegable duty to make these decisions. So I believe this was a wish list of I think they were getting tired of every every year having to deal with the Kennedy Act, and so I think um, these orders are drafted by the National Security Council. You know, President Biden is not sitting there in his office writing an order. Um, and in fact, the recommendation I have I had a lawsuit; it's still going on, but the production is finished now. I have to go back and have a conference with the judge about the records that were redacted. But um, I had a lawsuit with the um, National Archives last year that I filed uh, getting the correspondence, the underlying correspondence that were associated with the Trump postponements in 2017 and 2018. And what I saw from that was from the document production was that uh, both the two recommendations from the archivist to the president, uh, were drafted by the National Security Council. Basically, Archivist's role was to put his name on the on the memo. And uh, the order that was signed by President Trump was drafted by the National Security Council. In fact, uh, you know the conventional wisdom is that when President Trump uh, n- announced on Twitter that he was going to release all the records, I think it was in October of 2017, maybe he said this in September, I forget when he said it, it was going to release all the records and then suddenly the records were postponed for six months. Um, the conventional wisdom was that oh, uh, Pompeo came to him and said, you know, you can't release these. And in fact, um, he, he he's Roger Stone said that, and Judge uh, Napolitano said on Fox that when they asked President Trump why he changed his mind, the president. Told them that if you saw what I saw, you 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 know why. Well, that's not true. While he was saying that, the order was being drafted. So what happened was, President Trump didn't know the order was being drafted, and then it was presented to him to sign. He signed it, um, and he just lied uh, to cover up why he why he did something different than what he said it was going to do. So I I believe that Roger Stone and Judge Napolitano are telling the truth about what the president told him. But the president didn't want to admit this to that he was schnookered, or at least he didn't know what he was was going on when he said he was going to do something. So those are the kind of things you learn from these lawsuits about how the process really works. So um, basically a national security council, I think, is just tired of dealing with this act. It's a very powerful act and they want it to go away. And so they wrote this letter. This uh, executive order, the president signed it, which, you know, for a man that has the bust of Robert F. Kennedy in his office, who is one of the bravest men this country's ever had, um, I mean, he went after the mafia, knowing full well that his life could could be jeopardized because of that. Um, to have that bust in his office, and for him to have voted for the act, and now to basically say, "I'm done." before the, the work is finished, it's just, a, uh, it's just an, uh, an abdication of his authority. It's, it's a cowardly act. He, he, he gave in to the incredulous claims of the national security apparatus that somehow 60-year-old records pose such a risk to national security that the gravity of the harm that could be posed by disclosing these records outweighs the strong public interest. The CIA, in 1999, after the R the review board went out of business, had issued a lessons learned memo, and uh, they were talking about how the Kennedy Act had completely transformed and disrupted the way they handle classified records. And they, you know, that memo basically lessons learned: let's never do this again. And that's what they're doing. They've they've. They, they won with Biden, and, you know, we're going to try to fight this, um, but that's what the President did on June 30th at um, six o- eight o'clock Friday night when all the journalists were stuck in traffic on their way out to their, um, you know, weekend houses for the holiday.
0: What's your legal recourse? are you able to talk about that like some some things you can do with the lawsuit or things that you have yeah,
1: well, well, we filed you know we have filed a lawsuit, obviously the lawsuit was filed before and we finished uh our reply brief actually was submitted the day before the order was uh issued, but we have said that the president has not complied with the order um and uh we've also sued the National Archives. Um, on, um, July 14th, Friday night, the, so the, the court dismissed some of the, uh, the counts against the president, um, and, but kept in some of the counts against the national archives. So, uh, this just decision was just dropped. So we're still reviewing, um, the decision. And then obviously we have to review it with our count, with our client to determine what our future steps are. But at least um, our action is still alive. We have several grounds to, you know, to continue to pursue, and then we'll decide what to do about um, the claims that were dropped by the court. I mean, you know, you always have a right to appeal when the case is over. Um, the, the this is only a initial ruling on a motion to dismiss. Now that the government has to file its answer. And then the next step would be a, a meeting with the judge to set a discovery uh, schedule. So the, we still have a lot to go, um, but we're, we're pleased with the um, with the results that we got so far. The, the judge did grant our mandamus claim, uh, which means now that we can seek uh, the Church Committee and House Select Assassinations Committee uh, records that have. Um, Not been released so far. Uh, Basically, it means we, you know, we we were trying to get an order uh, for National Archives to pursue the records, the legislative records. Under the act, the president has the ability to postpone executive records, records issued by the executive branch, such as the FBI, the CIA, those are all um, offices within the executive branch. We have three branches of government. We have Congress, the legislature, we have the courts to judiciary, and then we have the executive, which is the president and the office of the president. So uh, the court confirmed that we were right, that the president has no right to postpone legislative records. And so um, uh, the, 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 we can now pursue the release of the rest of the uh, church and House Select assassinations committee records. And the court also um, preserved our Federal Records Act claim, which is uh, for records that are destroyed or, or improperly
0: removed or destroyed. Uh, you can seek, you know, uh, remedy for that. <clears throat> what type of remedy do you have for destruction of documents?
1: Um well, there are violations of
0: the law that the Department of Justice can pursue, and they could be civil or they could be criminal. Yeah, but what about like the Secret Service destruction of documents that we were yeah, aware of? Yeah, that would be
1: that would be something that could be pursued. But I, you know, I can't get too much into detail. Um, we have to still study this and and um, discuss with our client exactly what they want to do. But at least um, uh, we now have the, the judge sanctioned, you know, this so. We can now use this statute, and um, you know. Well, we we're, again we're, we're cons- we have to review the the order with our client and decide um, what we're going to do about the um, claims that were dismissed. <clears throat> so we still have a lot of work to do on the claims that remain in the case. We you know we lived to fight another day, and we're very excited about it. And uh, although we're disappointed that the some of the claims were dismissed, you know. It's rare that you get all your claims um, preserved. Uh, So, you know, we're we're disappointed that some were dismissed, but we're also
0: um, very pleased with the with the order. how powerful is the jfk act if they can just out of 60 years of people wait i mean they're what i'm thinking of is there's people that were at the beginning of this thing waiting for documents to be released documents to be released maybe next year next year next year those people are no longer with us some of them so you have people that are we're waiting hopefully that these documents be released that aren't here and then i have people like myself who are waiting and wondering why it's been 60 years now and there's Either a little press on any of the recent releases that I've seen, or why are you still holding it for 60 years? I mean, if it's a name, which I don't think that's the case, and when I talked to Thunheim, he said that's probably not the case, or it's an operation that's still in use. I I just, I don't, I don't, the word national security is starting to be a lot like the word conspiracy, where you're, you're tossing it out there a lot without really any explanation as to why. I mean, even the Assassination Records Review Board, in my opinion, I know they were, Their funding stopped and all that, but their job was to see what could be declassified and go through. And we still have countless documents that are still being sealed up. I don't think it's a smoking gun or anything. I'm not saying that, but I think it's important just for the public that they get everything. I mean, why keep delaying it further and further and further?
1: Well, the funny thing is one of the records, so the records that were dumped, the last dump of records on June 27th, about 1100 records, um, they had some interesting um records relating to requests from the ARB for you know for assassination records. They they had interesting memos from the CIA discussing responses to those requests. And um you can see that uh and Department of State. So the Department of State, when they get a request, they would or the CIA, they would send a note to a person saying um, there's a record with your name in it. And uh it's about to be released. Uh, is there any reason that you can think of why we should object to this? And some people were really nervous. Um uh there was one record with this guy Witten, John Witten. Um, he's the one that had originally said uh when he was in Japan that he had arranged he had some payroll encounters with Oswald. I think he was in the payroll office. Anyway. He was living overseas, and he was very nervous about his name being released, and he was really urging uh, the CIA to cover it up. But the funny one was we sent a request to the the KGB, to Russia, for their KGB files. And the Russian responded indignantly, saying, why should I release my records when you haven't released all your records to your own people?
0: a fair point that's a fair point
1: um there's uh, apparently ambassador mondale fritz mondale when he was ambassador to japan had pushed back because some of the records would have revealed some security operations that we had in japan and they were concerned that there was some other leftist things going on in the country and There was a concern that if this stuff came out, it could cause the the government, the existing government to crumble. And of course, if you're the ambassador to that country, you don't want that to happen. So, but there are definitely names of people that are being withheld. And uh, to your point, um, it's it's not just the people that, those of us who lived through the event want to know what the truth was before we die, number one. Number two, researchers want to be able to talk to these people, these witnesses. Who, these, these are people who are witnesses to events that occurred before the assassination. That, that category of people, a lot of them have never been interviewed. You know, people that were in Delhi Plaza, um, most of them have been interviewed, at least by somebody. Whether it's officially by the government or by you know researchers, but there's a lot of people whose names have not been released and you know have information that about events leading up to the assassination. And the later that we keep delaying these records, either they're going to die or their memories are going to be lost um, to dementia, uh, which is inevitable, you know, when you get older, and and those stories are going to be lost. Those facts are going to be lost to history forever. But that's exactly what they want to do. They want these people to, they don't want to release the names until they're dead. And the prime example was the one from December with Donald Heath, um, former CIA person who was tasked with the weekend the assassination to uh, go to Miami and have the station interview all the exiles they had contacts with and any pro castro agents they were aware of definitive any of them were involved in the assassination the the government had always denied that they did any kind of investigation over that weekend about into you know into those angles and and we knew the memo was there we never knew who the guy was that was in charge of this investigation but we found out in 2022 because he died in 2019 and now we you know we can't interview him about who did he talk to? You know, um, what were the responses? What, what happened to his records? He's gone. You know, and um, now would he have talked to us? I don't know, but at least we would have the chance to talk to him. Now, some of these people, I know you and I have talked about. You know, like a person like Forrest Lucy. We don't know why he won't talk. Right? He's that former FBI. I don't think he's under a security or confidential ad- allied agreement. I think the the CIA people are, but a lot of them got released from their obligations on you know when the JFK Act was passed, or at least when the HSCA um, was doing its investigation. So it's really frustrating. Um, I I feel it's uh, they are. um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a duty to future generations uh, while these people are still alive to get all the facts, and they just don't want the facts to come out.
0: Can you get another congressional investigation or something that could and make sure that this is all mandatory has to be released? I mean, what's going to stop them from pushing it and pushing it and pushing it? Even your appeal is going to have to take probably a bit of time to go through. And if they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, I mean, it's like when you file a Freedom of Information Act request, you sometimes you just you know you send something out there, it takes years or something, you get a response back. Yeah, like, Jeff
1: Morley's still waiting. Uh, I think three years now for his mandatory declassification request of the Joe Anides records. He followed it with the National Declassification Center and they're supposed to respond in 60 days and it's been three years. So um, yeah, it takes forever. They're, you know. So some of my colleagues um, keep referring to the March, 1964 memo from James Angleton to, I forget who it was, someone in the CIA saying, wait him out. And that's been their policy all along, but, um, We've been trying to get the attention of the Republicans in the House. They're the ones that would be the they would be the ones doing the investigation. They have oversight. Uh, I've co- I've contacted Comey and not Comey, um, the head of the Oversight Committee, the Chair of the Oversight Committee, uh, all, all the committees. I've I've contacted them about both holding oversight and also trying to move the uh, Schweikert bill, HR six thirty seven. For a hearing. And so far, I've gotten no response. Um, people have been calling and writing their office, but now I'm starting to go on Twitter, hoping that maybe the Twitter traffic will cause them to do something. But that's that really is the next. We really need to get a congressional investigation. We got to do something to light the fire under Congress that the con- congressional, work, you know, the goals of Congress have been violated and um the failure of the executive to properly implement
0: the act should be examined by congress and um uh do you you think it's a more conspiratorial thing or do you think it's just a a neglect in a certain area of history basically when it comes to releasing these documents i mean i don't think there's a smoking gun i think i said that already but it's just very strange how they're just postponing and postponing and postponing. I understand the weighted out method, but even anyone that would have the power to try and get a hearing together, anybody with a huge – RFK Jr. right now is probably the one who's trending the most, but he's openly speaking about you know, these issues as well too. So I'm curious if there is anybody that's – you think it's conspiratorial maybe that they're all just not wanting to deal with the mess that comes with the JFK thing, like a more reasonable kind of conclusion?
1: Well, I think on the surface, they let's talk about the people that are in power in the House now. I, I suspect that from their perspective, they're not going to get a lot of political uh, capital from pursuing a 60-year-old case. They're more interested in doing things um, that are, you know, now that are relevant. cultural topics. Although, you know, if I was sitting in their shoes, I'd say, here's another chance to go after Biden for, you know, for not complying with the law. And this is another one of these situations of overclassification of records, you know, and, and um, it, it seems to fit in with the current, the current uh, of current events, which we have, you know, President Trump's been indicted for these mishandling of classified records. And we have a problem of over overclassification in our country. So it certainly is relevant to today. I just don't it's very frustrating that they don't want to touch this topic. Um, I, I just think that they don't think that a lot of people are interested in it. And so I would urge your listeners to contact the chairs. I would send send Twitter, send tweets to both the Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee. Uh, of the house and to the chairs um and asked them to hold an oversight hearing on the failure of president biden to comply with the jfk act for he, he prematurely abdicated um his responsibilities under the act um he's basically said i give up nomos you know he's done and he's caving into the the national security um bureaucracy and the idea that He's essentially taking us back to the situation that existed before the JFK Act was passed, which was the national security bureaucrats were the ones that decided when the records would be released. And the idea that this that this will result in a different outcome is the very definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. So he's returning the disclosure of the records to the national security bureaucracy. They have to then notify National Declassification Center when an event has occurred, and the events, as I said before, are many of them are less stringent than the JFK Act. The agency with equities in the document would contact the National Declassification Center, and then they would start the process of reviewing for declassification. The idea that that process is going to work, given the track record, of declassifying records now is just insane and um you know i just wish that congress would realize that the president is rubbing
0: his nose in their face uh, on this act how complicit is the national archives is that where all the documents that haven't been released are stored or is that stored somewhere else
1: National Archives has, uh, well, there, there's, there are several collections. So when people, when the government says 99% of the records have been released, well, first of all, what records are we talking about? We're talking about records in the collection. The JFK. Co- the John Lennon stuff. That's what I want. <laughs> there are other records. There are segregated records. There are records, and those are records involving the House Select Assassination Committee. There are records that were initially labeled as not believed relevant. Now, in the last year of the ARB, they were under a lot of pressure to get all the records reviewed before they went out of business. And so they would cut deals with the agencies. And a lot of records that were they were fighting about, they may have decided, okay, these will say are not believed relevant. And then we'll focus on the ones that are of high priority to the review board. Well, we got to take a look at those records and see that, um, you know, in the haste to like get the work done, did they inadvertently or did they just decide to let some other records go? And then there's the records that have not been put into the collection that were outstanding record searches that were in existence when the ARB went out of business. The ARB went out of business. on September 30th, 1998, because they lost their funding, but their work wasn't finished. And so NARA has basically taken the position they have no responsibility to do new searches. And our our lawsuit says, NARA said they were the successor in function to the review board. When they moved the regulations of the review board from the section of the federal register, the federal code, to the section of NARA's regulations, the the justification or explanation for that regulatory move was that they were the successor in function. They said this in 2000, and they said they were continuing to supplement the collection. Supplement means add, and they haven't been doing that. So um, our position is that NARA assumes the responsibilities of the uh, review board and they have failed to take those actions. And so they should be out there searching. In fact, there have been internal emails, which we disclose, which we talk about in our lawsuit, where someone says they have information about an assassination record that's not in the collection, and the NARA employee says, contact our general counsel if you are aware of any records that should be in the collection, and we will pursue them. Well, they haven't. Proper response: if I send a request for an assassination record to NARA, um, they should then, if it if they if it's not in the collection, the proper response should be to go contact the agency who has who either owns the record or has equities in the record and ask that agency to look. What they've done instead is to tell the researcher to use the Freedom Information Act. Congress passed the JFK Records Act specifically because the Freedom of Information Act was not working. It was not, it was not, it was being used and being implemented in a way that was not providing for maximum disclosure of records. Again, asking a researcher to use FOIA when Congress previously said that was not an outcome that was going to work is again, another definition of insanity. Right. I mean, again, they're asking us to do things that Congress already determined don't doesn't work. So. Um, we're you know, we want the court to tell the ju- these to do do what it's supposed to be doing.
0: Now, do you have any supporting members or any speakers like I mean, I've noticed that with even with lone nuts and people who believe conspiracy, everyone is for the files being released. So I would think you'd have a group of effort and support for the Mary Farrell Foundation in your guys' lawsuit. But I'm curious if you have members, like I know you have Thunheim, You've he's emailed with them back and forth, but Tom Samaluk, any of the members of the ARRB um, to be able to help out as well too? I mean, I don't know how much power they have, but getting their name behind something doesn't hurt.
1: Um, they have all, we've gotten members of the ARP to sign a letter for the president, but um, you know, uh, it might be as the case goes on, there may be a role for these people. We don't, you know, but right now, um, the, uh, you know, people like Richard, uh, like Gerald Posner do, you know, we all, regardless of what we believe, we all want the records released. And it's just, it's just extremely frustrating that the national security bureaucracy still holds back. They're holding back records
0: from World War II. I know that's nuts.
1: You know, the thing is, um, their job is to sort of protect the national security records. So if everything was released, they'd be out of a job, I guess. I mean, you want to be cynical? <laughs> They're preserving their job. If all the records were released, they'd have nothing to do. But um it, it it's just it's a mess. Um, this is a problem. You know, we this is a national problem. The JFK Records Act is just one part of the problem, which is the way you get to Congress saying, if you can't get rid of 60 year old records, how are you going to learn about 9-11? How are you going to learn about, um, you know, the, the Sandinistas and, and um, the weapons of mass destruction? You know, I mean, you don't. That's the that's the truth of it. You don't. Right. Right. I mean, you know, you feel like you feel like we're in, in it, they're old. They all think they're Jack Nicholson, you know, I, in the movie.
0: You can't take the truth. Uh-huh. I really wonder if you could, if a country like Russia or, like, I know we just got Ru- we got Russia's file on the assassination, a bit of documents released. Some of them.
1: them. There's still a lot in Belarus.
0: That's why I'm curious if anybody from another country just openly decided to release their files, but all the other countries have to just feel pressured to release theirs.
1: You know, I, I as I said, you saw the response. I told you the response when they asked for the the records. And Judge Tunheim said that when he went to Belarus, there was a stack five feet high of records that hadn't been released. And then relations between the US and Russia got bad and the records were suddenly unavailable.
0: Has this changed your ideas or your perspective on the government just with dealing with the JFK lawsuit as a whole?
1: Uh, Well
0: doesn't have to be like evil conspiracy stuff. It
1: changed uh, many, many years ago. I mean, the Kennedy, the Kennedy. So I, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. So, you know, the assassination, Vietnam and Watergate dramatically changed my view of the government. And I realized that the government is not special. It's just made up of human beings that are going to hide things if it's going to hurt them or embarrass them. Um, and you know they're no different than corporate it's just human beings, and so um i i i i don't and I deal with the government every day in my in my my job as an environmental lawyer, I deal with um bureaucrats and and government employees, and the way they weld their power many times in an unreasonable way, and the degree of deference that is giving. I'm glad that the Supreme Court is 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 reigning in the administrative state, because these people have so much power, and the courts have been very deferential to them. And I think in a manner that is not not they're not worthy of. I mean, you know, I could there could be a, a government employee in one of my cases, and I say you're making your decision makes no sense, and say sue me because they know that the government, the the courts in most cases defer to their judgment. And there's this fiction that these people are, that the government is making um, very careful reasoned decisions when most of the time it's policy. I mean, you know, what you learn, I mean, the, the sentence system has gotten worse. I mean, when I learned how the Office of Legal Counsel works in the Department of Justice, the president wants a policy written he wants to, he wants to implement a policy so they get a memo from the office of legal counsel to support the policy that's how we got the torture memo right you understand that they want to be able in in the interest of of national security they want to be able to have intense questioning of these prisoners to try to prevent another 911 and so the ends justifies the means and so They get a memo from the Office Legal Counsel telling the president, yes, it's legal to do these certain things. And they define, they redefine what torture is. So, and in very few cases, is there any pushback? Because the Office Legal Counsel, you have people that are working for the president. It's not independent. You know, and and so there's this whole fiction in the law about how the government's supposed to work. And it's not, it doesn't work that way. You know they don't sit back and come and the, Congress doesn't sit back and make these deliberate. I mean, you look at what a congressional goals are. Well, the last ten years or so, there's been a policy where they passed these mac these huge massive laws, and no one knows what's in the in the laws. They weren't they weren't a a result of of debate and reasoned thinking, and yet the courts. You know, they, they continue to use these fictions, these idealistic idealistic views of the way of the way laws and regulations and executive orders are made. So hate to be a bummer, but uh um you know, I'm just trying to shed light. Um, there was a Supreme Court justice uh in the early part of the 20th century that said sunshine is the best disinfectant. And if you um you know if you read the ancient greeks there's nothing new that's happening now it human beings are the same and it it's just it's very frustrating it's very frustrating I, mean, I i was hoping you know that before i die that i'll learn everything there is to know and um i'm 70 now so you might have a better chance to learn
0: I don't even think it's going to be in my lifetime, but I mean, are you a little bit optimistic in the fact that there's at least people like myself, younger generations and other people that are still interested in getting, I, to be honest, I mean, I look, I pay attention to social media a lot when it comes to like, you know, every now and again, I'll be on it and be like, okay, I, I could see this, I could see this, see what's trending and what's going on just so I'm not totally out of the, the world loop. Um, but last year and the year before that, you know, there was not as much talk as there was about this year with JFK. Um, I don't. I noticed well, there'll be more- some.
1: There'll be some in November because it'll be the 60th anniversary. But I, I suspect this is going to be the last, the last big. Um, if there's going to be, I mean, it's going to be less than 50. 50 is always it's zero and 50, right? I mean, 50 is the big. These 25 and 50 are the big times when the media gets focused. But I think this will be the last big, um, media event because. In the other 10 years, I would say virtually all the witnesses are going to be gone because, you know, if you're unless you're 10 years old, if you're 10 years old in 1963, you're 70 now. So if you're 20 years old, you're 80 right now. So, you know, in, in, in 2033, I don't imagine there's going to be more than a handful of witnesses left. Yeah. And so, who's going to be there to interview and talk about? And uh, I, I get concerned that you know when they—I don't know if these act these surveys are representative—but you know, people can't even tell you what when the Civil War was fought or who fought in the Civil War. Um, so I don't know if history is something it's that
0: Japan, right? Japan fought in the Civil War. <laughs>
1: um i i just don't know if there's really much interest in history uh i get the sense that anything that happened before 2000 is just
0: like it eh, doesn't matter i i i understand that i i think it's gonna be a little i just know, but i'm
1: i am i am definitely um grateful and optimistic when people from your from people like you are pursuing this we have to get more of you um and there's a few others but um, uh, not only just to be interested, but have the same passion. I think it's a little different when you live through the event, but um,
0: anyway. I noticed with amongst my friends and a lot of people that I either work with or someone who knows about my podcast that I might come in contact with, they are very interested in all the JFK-related stuff. It sparked up interest in them. I actually just got interested in the RFK um stuff i've been having a few people on because i don't know that one's uh, that one to me is a little bit different just because it's got you got someone who's still alive who's like 50 years now been like jail so it's like whether you agree he did it or not there's this whole situation we kind of should at least talk about or at least trying to figure out what's going on here um but the jfk one is the first and it's the one i know most about but the importance of that one is, I mean, the sixtieth, I think is going to be different, not just because it's the sixtieth anniversary, but because you have at least i as far as I know, three or four films coming out on the Kennedy assassination from researchers I've talked to who are making a film about it. But there's at least three conspiracy films coming out on the sixtieth. I, I know the mafia 20th. I
1: know there's the one with the Mafia um... then there's
0: Steve Cameron's uh, production, and then there's a whole other one that I've heard Steve who... Cameron doing. Steve Cameron is doing uh some type of film production, the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald or the frame up or something like that, it's off of his book. But there's another thing with it, and then I mean I'm not going to say mine early, but yeah, it might be mine. Will hopefully try and be out around that time as well too. I still got a lot of work to do on it. Um, but I think you know you're going to have at least a good amount of films and i've seen a couple podcasts start up about it as well too and they're learning as well like i was learning in the beginning about certain things but you know i think it's definitely in the culture more than it probably has ever been um i know he's jfk gets synonymatized as this like pop figure icon like marilyn monroe is and all this other stuff but i see a lot more people actually diving into depth on the actual assassination the parts that don't make sense i mean what you really need you need to get like Marine oswald to just come out of her, you know, reclusiveness and say something as well, too. But I feel like the 60th is going to be a little bit different. I don't expect them to go with the the documents at all. But I can tell you that there'll be a hell of a lot more people wondering what is our government doing compared to maybe the past couple of years? Well, the other problem is that the term conspiracy theorist is really, I mean, even when
1: when Robert Kennedy Jr. And, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I'm supporting him. Um, not surprisingly, right. But um, you know he's not the most disciplined speaker. He'll say things sometimes, and, and he and people distort his words, and and they have now lobbed him in as a conspiracy theorist, um, and that's a dirty word, and it begins to fall into the politic, the politicalization of the country. It's really interesting how it's the Democrats now who are supporting and defending the um establishment law enforcement and the security national security and it's the republicans who are used to be the defenders of you know the establishment and i mean it used to be like vincent bulagosi in his book he keeps calling jfk researchers leftists you know i mean that it was a dirty word either communist or leftist this is all about oswald was a communist he was a leftist, and, and, and there was all this animus that was originating because, from a political standpoint. Most of the people that I know that support the Warren Commission tend to be conservative people, yeah. and they feel that they're doing an honor. They're honoring America by defending it against this claim that there was a conspiracy within the government, or at least there was a, a governmental cover-up of some rogue elements. Um, and they're defending. I mean, the Warren Commission was more about assuaging our allies, that we, the leader of the third of the free world, was not a third world country. it I mean, if you look at the first meeting of the Warren Commission, there were a lot of comments about putting nasty rumors to bed so that the rest of the world understands, you know, that we're that we're not a third world country. And, and there was lots of cables coming in in January, and December of 64, about what the Europeans thought about us. And so this was not as much about for domestic consumption as it was for foreign consumption, to reassure our allies that we are still the America that they believe in. And, and so I think a lot of people still think that way. And they just, and then, of course, positioning Oswald as a communist, as a pro-Castro person. Well, now it just brings out all the loath- loathsome and hatred that was directed towards communists in those days. I mean, today's terrorists are yesterday's communists. I mean, you know, the same the same things are done over and over again. It's different types of people and different labels.
0: I, uh, I agree with the people who defend the Warren Commission are conservatives. Um, I'm not a leftist, and I'm not really on the right either. I probably won't be voting again this year. Um, I know everyone says, oh, you should support RK Jr. Some stuff he says I like, some stuff I don't – I just don't think that, honestly, in my viewpoint from what I've noticed with these agencies is I think the president, much like every other one, even if he's attached to it by the family is going to be the same thing that we've seen in the past. I think that part's a little bit out of their power. And I know you're like the president is the head of, but it's those agencies, that secrecy thing, that national security thing. I mean, that can be spun any which way of like, you want to let the world fall. You want to let America fall because you release this. And then you got to either a guilt trip or something going on. So it's very, very hard. The documents that were released um, in, on June 27th, they had one
1: document from the CIA. It was a, uh, it was about a meeting. They were reporting on the meeting with the um, ARB. And their definition of public interest was twofold. It wasn't just the public interest in having the records. So, as you have to have an identifiable harm that is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in disclosure, right? So, they were saying, well, there's two types of public interest there's one about disclosure, and the second one is about having a strong operational CIA. So you know, there's been bipartisan delays. Every president, from Clinton to Bush to Obama to Trump to now Biden, so it's Democrats and Republicans. And I have voted for Democrats and Republicans. I have worked for Democratic uh, conservative. I mean, I've gone from George McGovern to Gary Hart and and um, and uh, Al Gore. I mean, I've I've. I'm a true independent voter, and I have been completely turned off by, by, and Bobby, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr., Um, his beef, he's not anti, so he's labeled as an anti-vaxxer. What he really is, is the procedure, he's against the procedure that's used to approve
0: vaccines. That careful, they're- Careful, careful. YouTube will flag that. I'm on Bobby Kennedy's side with that one as much as I am with the JFK ones. And you could tell because I've spoken with Robert Malone and Peter McCullough, but I've also spoken to the other side as well, too. I'm just more like, some, we could talk about this off air. This, this is going to get flagged right off YouTube. All right, right? So you're going to have
1: to delete that portion of yeah. the, yeah. yeah.
0: That, again, again, and the censorship. Oh, the JFK stuff gets flagged immediately, not even just that it won't go up. It just it gets a disclaimer and it points people to Wikipedia, which if you look at that shit is not right at all. And that's really upsetting. They said, like Lee Harvey Oswald, this is a quote from the actual thing. I screenshotted it and it has changed now. Someone updated it. But um, it literally said Lee Harvey Oswald went to the Dallas or FBI Dallas police headquarters um, three weeks before the assassination or something asking to see James Hosty, And then he either and it says, period, it says accounts vary as whether he threatened to blow up the place or report it to higher authorities. I was like, you guys really put that in there as like accounts vary like that's like saying, oh, you gave me vodka and I wanted Coke. Like, what the hell? Like, that's two distinct very different things There aren't like oh one degree of separation there but that's on their page but now all youtube videos even the jfk stuff i don't know how safe it's going to be to keep talking about it at some points because obviously everyone has their own independent theories and stuff like that but when you start going in there it starts falling under the category of what based on their original narrative as misinformation or what they're calling disinformation it's like well hold on a second j edgar hoover did you know work with mob figures and all these other, the government, that's true, but a lot of people don't know that. So the official narrative is that never happened. So it's kind of like you can read the organized crime part of the church committee report. You can read all that type of stuff, but that's also the church committee is not, on everybody's mind, nobody has really even seen that for my generation or other generations. When I always screenshot it and put it up on like my Facebook or I'll put it up on my Instagram or something, and people go, "Is that real?" I was like, "I can send you the link to the seven hundred page report where this came from." Like it's not; it just sounds conspiratorial,
1: and that's a problem when you don't know history. And now you're put in a position of reviewing things on whatever platform. If you don't know, if you haven't learned your history then you're going to dismiss things. And there's an impulse now in this country to squash speech that you don't agree with. And in fact, under the First Amendment, the most important speech to protect is the speech you don't agree with. Because if if that is, you know, and for I'll just give you an example of the way you have to look at things sometimes. The student loan case before the Supreme Court it's a great issue. It's important. I understand why, you know, a president would want to give a break to students. You guys have enormous debt. Um, however, the big picture is if you let a president interpret the law very broadly beyond his enumerated power given to him by Congress, all right, that would be great under this circumstance. But what if you get a bad president that comes in office Now you've given that bad bad president enormous power because of the precedent established for a good cause. And then that bad president can do things that are terrible because the courts have said he has that power to interpret the statute that way. And I'm just, this is not a political statement, this is an example. When President Trump took the money that was allocated to the Defense Department and gave it and used it for to build a wall. He technically was misusing the money. And and if you if you allow a president to have such broad power like under the loan student loan act then some president may do something worse than than build a wall with money that was appropriated you know in a different way. I'm not saying I you know I'm just making an example okay. of how you have to look at the big picture constitutionally and when a congress passes a law that is not based on the president's constitutional power based on a statute then the president's power is limited by that statute and um i don't know how i got onto this rant but (laughs) (laughs) it was a good one it was a good one but uh you have so you can't just look at the specific issue like they say bad facts make bad law and, and so the student alone was a very um, worthwhile effort, but the the method he chose was wrong. He didn't have the power to do that. And and I'm glad the, con- uh, the court reigned him in, just like I'm glad the court reigned in the EPA on its interpretation of wetlands. Because again, you don't want administrative agencies getting all this power that they can do things. They're unaccountable. And and uh, you know you want to make sure that they are stayed in stay within the, the 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 guardrails that Congress sets, um, and if Congress doesn't function well, then it's our job to get a Congress that does. But um, anyway, I I went off in my constitutional law. It was rant, good. I liked but, it. I learned anyway, something too. Going coming back to the Kennedy case, Congress gave president the president very narrow. Grounds for postponing the records, and we believe the President exceeded those grounds um, in a way that violates the law. and um, hopefully we will eventually be able to get that get relief uh, on those grounds.
0: well, Larry, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show about some of this stuff, but uh, is there a place where people can find any of your links and anything else you'd like to promote as well too?
1: I have um snap.com website. And I think uh, there's a JFKCSI.com. Uh, JFK CSI.com. They both go KCSI. to the same CSI. place. I have a lot of uh, articles and videos and stuff there. And I have a YouTube JFK CSI YouTube page where I post videos. And, and um, I haven't really done much of my own, but I post a lot of stuff up there and I post articles and uh, places I've been interviewed and that sort of stuff. So um, and I have a um, Facebook page where I post a lot of stuff—JFK uh, hard facts uh, uh, or junk science. That's your page. Yeah. All right, I'm a part of that. Yeah. Yes, that's my that's my page, and I post things there. Um, I started that originally to go through the forensic analysis of of the case, and uh, it's kind of expanded beyond that. Um, there's been some interesting recent cases about forensic evidence, but. We'll, we can talk about that some other time about the way that um, tool marks and stuff are. Um, if some of the court, the court's now finally starting to uh, look at that that profession for what it is. It's not scientific, it's subjective. And a lot of the um, case, a lot of the, the evidence in the JFK case was based on
0: junk science linking neutron the, star activation. Say what? neutron star activation whatever that analysis that's
1: pretty much debunked but uh the two marks the markings on the fragment the bullets um they try to link it to a gun um the hairs linking it to the shirt the fibers in the blanket linking it to you know fibers in in the, the, the in the gun all that stuff is so subjective and none of it there's nothing in there that you can say links that piece of evidence to the exclusion of any other weapon. Um, if you look at the modern way that people evaluate that evidence, we now learn that this stuff is very subjective. And, um, you know, the, the way you're supposed to do it is you have two separate, you have a couple of pieces of evidence, and you don't know which one is from where it's completely black box. And then the examiner is supposed to then identify it. Um, whereas if you're told this one is, this is the the, the fragments taken from the limo and here's um, a weapon, uh, a sample fired from the weapon. Do they match? Duh. What do you think the result's going to be? <laughs> what they should have done is say, here's some weapon, here's some fragments. We don't, they'll tell him where they're from and then you have a number of rifles, different rifles that would fire bullets. And then he would say, do these these fragments match any of these other bullets? Um, that would be a true test because then they don't know, A, the source of the fragment, and B, they don't know which rifle was the assassination rifle. And then then you could see, did they really match to the right rifle? They didn't do that. They just took the bullets from the rifle that were fired by at the test grounds, and then they took the fragment and said, do they match? And do you think an FBI agent is going to say no? And do you think a person hired by the HSCA whose lab gets money from the government is going to say no? Do you think a person that is working for the government whose pension is at risk if he doesn't if he gets in trouble is going to say no?
0: Not if they want that in-ground pool.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. And you want the promotion.
0: <laughs> Larry, I'm going to link your links in the description. Like I said, man, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, thanks again so much for the time and thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Out The Blink.